Okay, I'm going to start with the question that we had last week. Um, if you remember, is how do Carrie? Is that how I pronounce your name? Yeah, but I have to try to remember the question. I know the question. <laughs> I know the question. Okay, so the question was. We were saying that God constantly has to recreate us, right? Something from nothing, because if he didn't will us to exist, um, we wouldn't exist. And the question was, well, don't we know that God created the world through speech and six days he created the world and the seventh day he rested? So how is it that Hashem is constantly creating us, but on, on Shabbos, he rests, right? It feels like a contradiction. So it happens to be a super excellent question that it wasn't like it, you know, took some research and this answer, um, is a good start. I, I, I'm not, I don't think it answers all of the question. I think it's good, but it gives us what to think about. And what I was able to, um, you know, between me asking a few people, what I was able to find out was that basically Hashem created the world through speech. And on the seventh day, God rested, creating the world through speech, but through thought in his mind, you know, we are still being created in Hashem's thought, which is Hashem's will. So through speech, which is a very big revelation. And, you know, um, we said speech is like a, a, um, a expression of something that wasn't known before that does not happen on Shabbos, but what? we are still being recreated through the mind now. If and it does make sense because on Shabbos we know that everything what? is elevated, right? Um, one second, let me just mute everybody. Okay, so um, so we're we're like we're not supposed to talk about mundane things on Shabbos, right? Our speech is supposed to be elevated on Shabbos, and our our connection and our um, spiritual experience is much more elevated on Shabbos as well, because everything is coming from the mind, which is from a deeper place than speech, was which is a more of an outward expression. So that's the answer that I was able to find. Um, I still think that we like we're still being created, but we're being created only through Hashem's thought, not through Hashem's speech, which gives Hashem basically on the seventh day he rested from creation through speech. Okay, so that's what we have um, for the answering to question last week. Let's jump right into this week. We have a lot to cover, um, but it's a really great chapter, and um, we are now on chapter twenty-three. Okay, so we have been spending a lot of time discussing this non-dual idea of Hashem, that everything is absorbed with and consumed by the presence of Hashem, right? We've been talking about that for quite a few chapters, right? So now um, we have a question, obviously, because we always have, we, we learn something and then we have a question on what we learned, which allows us to go deeper and the cycle continues. So the question is, is that we, we have a little bit of a difficulty in understanding or, or, or an, how to look at and appreciate the concept of Torah and mitzvot, right? Because if we're saying that everything is absorbed by and one with Hashem, right? A table, a chair, an 
animal, anything, everything is one with Hashem. So what makes Torah and mitzvah special, right? What makes that special? If everything is absorbed by Hashem, why are Torah and mitzvahs considered a, an amazing spiritual experience, a way that we connect with Hashem and become one with him if everything is one with him, right? So we need to understand what differentiates Torah and mitzvahs from everything else. And um, we all, so we're going to understand this concept by using what we learned last week. What did we spend a lot of time learning last week? We learned the concept of Timtum, the concept of diminishment. And we also learned that everything has the amount of diminishment that is in each thing is according to that object, right? So a table is going to have a certain amount of diminishment from Hashem and a human's going to have a certain amount, animal's going to have a certain amount, and plant's going to have a certain amount. It's all different. It's all tailor-made, right? So using this concept, we're going to understand what is the difference between Torah and mitzvahs and everything else, okay? So that's what we're, that's what we're doing in this chapter. Yes, question. I don't understand why it takes so much diminishment. Why does it take diminishment from God? Okay, that's a good question. And uh, where we will explore that more, but a, but a short answer is is that if we were, if God was were not to hide His face at all, if He was to reveal Himself completely, we would cease to exist. Oh. We would not be able to exist as separate entities if God's presence was not filtered at all, because we are not we are not our physical bodies and even the physical world would not be able to handle that. So God, in order for God to be in this world, he has to kind of hide himself, right? We talked, to, talked about it being like layers of curtains. He has to hide himself to a certain degree so he can be in this world, okay? But at, you know, more and more and more, as we go through the chapters, we understand this concept on a deeper and deeper level and it, everything starts to fall into place, okay? Thank so, um, so, um, basically, while Hashem, Hashem's view, remember we said Hashem's view of the world, he sees the world as not a diminishment, right? The diminishment is only on our end. To God, he sees the world and everything in the world as an extension of himself. Okay, so through God's eyes, nothing's a diminishment. It's only through our perception that we embody a separate existence. Okay. It's only through our lens that we are a separate identity. According to Hashem, we're not a separate identity, identity at all, but Hashem created, created us in a way that we are able to live as a separate identity and go and move through this world as separate from God but that's not how God sees it, okay? And it's not actually the reality. Okay, so um, Torah, what we're gonna learn is Torah and mitzvot represent the bridge between these two perspectives, right? The perspective uh, between the divine and human. So Torah allows the non-duality of Hashem 
to become accessible, right? And um, and and even in this world of separate, we live in a world of separate consciousness, right? We are going about this world, and we live we live our lives as separate consciousness from Hashem. But Torah is going to bridge that gap between divine and human and help us um, have this non-dual concept become more accessible. Okay, that is what's, that's what's going to happen when we learn more about the role Torah mitzvahs play in this world, okay? So going back, this is going to be a little bit of a, like, a memory test. Well, I'm not going to actually test you, but test yourself on what you remember from chapters four and five, okay? Some of you were here live, some of you watched the recordings, and some of you don't, didn't learn chapter four and five, which is okay, because we're going to build on it here, and um, you'll, you will be able to understand those concepts, no problem. But in chapters four and five, we learned that... Torah and mitzvahs provide a very transcendent, unique merging experience with Hashem. So through Torah and mitzvahs, we merge with Hashem. Now, through mitzvahs, we merge one way, and through Torah, we merge another way. Okay, they each have their unique, um, their unique attributes that allow us to connect to Hashem. Okay, so. Um, in this chapter, chapter 23, we're going to continue to explore this idea. We're going to take chapters four and five, and we're going to take it one step further and understand it deeper and from a different perspective. Because what I love about Tanya is that it introduces concepts in, oh, in, in small bite sizes and what we're ready for, right? So in chapters four and five, we learned about Torah in one way, but we're going to totally expound on that because at chapter 23, we have so much more information under our belt and we're able to handle more and we're able to understand more. So we are introduce new concepts. So it's almost like this layering technique that the Tanya uses where we keep on coming back to concepts, foundational concepts that we've learned, but adding new dimensions to it as we are ready. Okay, so the Zohar explains that the connection that occurs to Hashem through mitzvahs with this phrase, the, the Zohar uses this phrase to help us understand the connection we have to Hashem when we do a mitzvah. Okay, and the phrase is like this, the 248 positive commandments are compared to the four, the 248 organs of a king. Okay, so what we're implying here is that the mitzvos are the innermost divine will and true desire of Hashem. Okay, now remember, metaphorically, remember we use physical terms, doesn't mean Hashem has organs and a body, right? We're using metaphorical terms. We talked about that concept last week and a few, and a few weeks ago, right? So we describe mitzvahs as the organs of Hashem, right? To emphasize the fact that when we do a mitzvah, it's a pure expression of Hashem himself, okay? Um, so we, when we do a mitzvah, we are expressing the divine will, right? So, Mitzvot represents Hashem's inner desire, right? And as it is expressed and dressed in the worlds, right? 
Okay, so the, this is what we're going to learn. It doesn't mean that the purpose of the mitzvah is to give the world energy, right? In fact, it's the other way around, right? Hashem wanted us to do mitzvahs, so he created a world so we can do mitzvahs. You're with me, right? So, and therefore, the created world makes mitzvahs possible, right? So, even like, so it's like, a, it's like a A plus B equals C kind of concept. Hashem created the world so we can do mitzvos. Therefore, mitzvos continue to give the world its life force. Does that make sense? Right? So it's not, it's not only the fact that the mitzvahs are, are what's keeping the world alive and the mitzvahs are, are sustaining the world. It's more than that. It's the fact that the world was created so we can do a mitzvah. And because of that, the world is sustained through our mitzvahs, through our actions. Okay? So, um, and the, it's very interesting because the mitzvahs that we do in this world create the life energy of the higher, more spiritual worlds. So the spiritual world's energy is contingent upon what we do in this world. Okay, so the more mitzvahs we do in this world, the greater light and life force shines in the upper, more spiritual worlds. Okay, so we not only, when we are having actions, not only are we affecting our physical world, we are also affecting the higher spiritual realms through our actions. Okay, so now, um, so what happens is that the whole point of the world's the whole point of the world is to facilitate Torah and mitzvot, okay? And the world's existence depends on it, right? It's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Here we know. What comes first, one second, is that we needed a world to be able to do mitzvot. Now, we, the world needs mitzvot in order to exist. Yes, question. When you talk about the world, are you talking about it as though it's only Jewish. It's only Jews that believe that that exist in the world. No, no. What happens no, to no, all no. the other nations? God didn't okay. ask that of them. Or okay. uh, so good question. When I talk about the world, I'm talking about this physical world that we live in and, and everything that exists within this world. Um, the other nations of the world that are not Jewish have their role and how they connect to God, which is, for example, the seven Noahide laws. That's their connection to God, right? But one of the one of the jobs of the Jewish people is to be a light onto the world. And our job is to make sure that the world continues to exist through our actions and our connection with Hashem. If that would cease to exist, the world would cease to exist. So we're not saying that nothing exists outside of the Jew and outside of the Jewish world. We are, we are saying, though, is that it is our job to be a light onto the nations. It is our job to make sure that the, light, the world continues to have its life force. And, and, and other nations of the world do that as well, but through their 
path, right? They don't have the same path as the Jew. They have a different path, which is they have seven specific laws that they connect to God through and they are obligated to uphold. Our God, they connect to our God? The God, there's only one God, remember? For us, yeah. No, no, for everyone and everything, there's only one God, right? If we were to believe that there are other gods for other nations, that would totally contradict our non-dual concept, right? It would totally contradict the, the fact that God is everything and nothing exists outside of him, no matter what. So God is the God of all the world. Whether you believe in him or not, that's on you, right? Whether whether other nations believe that it's the same God or not is on exactly. them. Exactly. Right? That's okay. on them too, right? But, okay. mo- but most religions, um, well, pagan, not so much, but Christianity, um, Muslim, they believe in the one God. Now, do they believe that there are other things outside of God that also hold powers? ask them about their religion but the but it, but their pinnacle is the the god right everything comes from from the god so when we're talking about back to your question when we're talking about the um we're talking about this physical world as it exists in all its dimensions not just the jewish world the whole world the whole world exists through the power of our actions and our connection through god Okay. Okay. So, um, where were we holding? Okay. Yeah. So the whole point of the world is to be able to facilitate the uh, observance of Torah and mitzvot. Okay. And to connect the, the question, the, the, um, non-Jew has their obligations to connect to God through their, um, through the laws that Hashem has made for them, which are the seven Noahide laws, which we're not going to get into right now, but they do have their way of connecting to Hashem. Okay. So a mitzvah acts as a deep expression of Hashem's infinite light. Okay. Um, And each of these acts cause light, and life energy from Hashem, right? In all the other worlds. Meaning, I'm gonna explain, meaning the world, remember last week we talked about internal will and external will, right? The means to an end. And we spoke about the alarm clock, right? We said, nobody wills, nobody's deep inner desire is to be woken up by an alarm clock, right? but you desire to be woken up by an alarm clock so you can go to work and make money, right? And you go to work and make money because you want to support your family and you support your family, right? There's a lot of external wills to get to your innermost will, right? And the external will is called like, a, it, we, we look at it as a means to an end, right? So what we're saying here is that the world is God's external will. The world is a means to an end. Having a world is a means to an end. That's an external will. What's the internal will? Mitzvahs is Hashem's internal will, true desire. Hashem's true desire is that mitzvahs should be performed, right? How do we make that happen? We have to make that happen in a physical world. So Hashem created a world, which is Hashem's external will, in order to be able to fulfill his internal will, his true desire, which are mitzvahs, okay? So the world is a means to an end. So that's why 
the world is sustained through mitzvahs, right? Because it is the sake, it's for the sake of mitzvahs that the world exists. You with me? Yes, okay. So, um, and that's why mitzvahs are compared to organs, right? Because organs are completely surrendered to your soul. Okay, look at your body. Your physical organs and body parts are completely subservient to your soul, which is your brain, okay? So for example, if you want, you will your hand to move, right? If your brain tells your hand to move, it will move, barring any um, unusual circumstances, right? There's obviously exceptions to the rule of somebody, there, there is such a thing as somebody not able to walk or talk or, or move, right? But in general, if you will your hand to move, it will move to the point where you don't even have to like, you're not even registering the concept. Your hand is so subservient to your soul, your will, that it, it just does its bidding. You don't even have to consciously realize it, right? So that's why mitzvahs are compared to organs. So just like organs are completely subservient to the soul, mitzvahs are completely subservient to Hashem's will, right? Hashem, Hashem's will is expressed through mitzvahs, right? Our mind's will is expressed through our body, right? So um, mitzvahs are a direct expression of Hashem's will, right? And in reference to life energy, it's twofold, right? You are basically, it's very, very fascinating because what happens when you do a mitzvah is you're expressing Hashem's will in many different ways. So for example, the energy a person invests in performing a mitzvah becomes one with Hashem, right? It, the energy that you're investing, when you put out physical energy to do a mitzvah, that energy becomes a vehicle of expression for Hashem. I'm actually not going to use the word one with Hashem because we're going to talk about that later, but it becomes a vehicle of expression. The energy that you're using is expressing Hashem's will and the life energy of the object you're using in the performance of the mitzvah also is an expression of Hashem's will. For, so for example, charity, right? The energy that you're using to give charity becomes one with Hashem. The, the coin itself is an expression of Hashem's will. Right. So you, your energy becomes an express, it becomes a vehicle of expression and the actual physical object becomes a vehicle of expression of Hashem's will. Okay. It's pretty, pretty cool. Now, as we learned in chapter four, what did we learn in chapter four? That the soul has three garments. Okay. What are the three garments of the soul? Does anybody remember what the three garments of the soul are? Barbara, do you remember? Thought, speech, and action. Yes, woohoo! Thought, speech, and action. That is the modes of expression, right? We learned that the soul has 10 powers. What we do, if the soul has 10 powers but doesn't have a way to express them, what does that help us? So through thought, speech, and action is the way that the soul expresses itself, right? So action is the outermost expression, right? It's the most physical form of expression. And action is absorbed into the mitzvah and becomes 
the vehicle of expression for the mitzvah. So your action, your garment of the soul, which is your action becomes the vehicle through which Hashem expresses himself. Do you, do you fathom the incredibleness, the incredibleness of this, right? Like when we do a mitzvah, we are literally becoming um, uh, containers and catalysts through which Hashem expresses his will. And he knows and each one. He knows, one. he feels and knows each one that is doing the mitzvah. Yes. Yes, each and every thing and action that you do is bringing joy to Hashem and, is, and you're fulfilling his inner will. Remember, the world is his outer will, external will. His inner will is the mitzvahs. So every time you choose to do a mitzvah, you are choosing to express Hashem's will in a very real way. Okay, this is, this is what I'm talking about. We take these big esoteric concepts but they're actually really practical, right? Because all we have to do right now is once in a while, we choose to do a mitzvah. And this is what's happening when we choose to do a mitzvah. When we choose to do any one of these 613 commandments, we are choosing to be the vehicle in which Hashem expresses himself through, okay? So that's very, very, very powerful. Now, in summary, um, I want to summarize exactly what a mitzvah does, and then we're going to move on to Torah study. How we, how we merge with Hashem through Torah study is going to be slightly different and slightly more powerful, actually. Okay, so the mitzvah is absorbed into the divine will in four different ways, okay? So A... The life energy of the mitzvah object itself, okay? B, the energy used by the person doing the mitzvah, right? You're with me? C, the action garment of the soul, right? We just said the action garment of the soul is being completely absorbed in the mitzvah. And D, which we add here, we didn't mention before, is the physical limb used to perform the mitzvah, right? So if you're, whether you're using your legs or your hands or your mouth or your eyes, that physical limb is also a direct vehicle of expression for Hashem's will. Four things. Okay, should I repeat them or we're good? Well, I'm gonna repeat them quickly because this is the kind of stuff that I want you to absorb and go home with, okay? A, the, en the life energy of the mitzvah object itself. B, the energy used by the person doing the mitzvah. C, the action garment of the soul. And D, the physical limb in which you use to perform the mitzvah. Okay? It's quite an all-body experience, right? It's a very all-encompassing experience. Now, example, the hand which gives tzedakah, okay? Um, the mouth which speaks Torah, right? The legs in which you use to run and do a mitzvah, right? All, like when we tell our kids like, oh my goodness, run, use your legs and run and do a mitzvah. Like this is taking deep Hasidic concepts and relaying it to children. Like 
Kids, like when you run to do a mitzvah, do you know what you're doing? Even your legs are part of the mitzvah, your arms, your mouth, your, you know, these are physical things that are becoming a vehicle of expression for Hashem. Okay. And we take these concepts and we pass them on to our children in a way that they too, right? Whoever's been told by their, um, by their mother, the words Rizas, right? Quickly run to do a mitzvah, right? You want to, you want to run to do a mitzvah. Now, um, the sages teach us that our forefathers are, before we get to the concepts of Torah, we have one more thing to talk about through mitzvahs, which is going to lead us into Torah. That our sages say that our forefathers are a chariot to Hashem. Okay, our markava. The, the forefathers are a chariot to Hashem. Okay, the chariot, a chariot is completely surrendered to the driver, right? Can't go off on its own. It's into the driver that's doing it, right? And so too, um, our, um, the mind and body of our forefathers were completely into Hashem. What's the difference between our forefathers being compared to a chariot Hashem and us being compared to a chariot Hashem when we do a mitzvah? Okay, there is a um, slight differentiation. Okay, so when we do a mitzvah, only the particular organ in which we're doing the mitzvah with becomes the chariot for Hashem. Okay, and um, we aren't always doing mitzvahs, right? There's interruption between our mitzvahs. We're not only doing mitzvahs. It'd be nice, but that's just not actually happening. Our forefathers all the limbs were completely subservient to Hashem because they were always constantly doing mitzvahs and there was never any interruption of our, our forefathers were constantly in service of Hashem. Whether they were doing mitzvahs, whether they were praying, whether they were learning, there was no break in their mitzvah observance. So therefore they were constantly being subservient to Hashem and all their limbs were involved in the process. For us, it's when we do a mitzvah, the limb that we're using is completely subservient to Hashem. Do you get the subtle difference, right? Our forefathers encompass that all the time, our, their whole body. For us, it's when we do a mitzvah and the limb that we're using, that becomes completely subservient to Hashem like a chariot is to its rider. Can I ask you a question, please? Yes. Were the imais also the same as the Avais or was it just the Avais? Um, I, the, the phrase is used in connection to the forefathers, but I can very confidently say yes, that okay. the Imahos are, were the same. Absolutely, 100%, probably even more. <laughs> okay, so now here we go. This is where we're going to transition into Torah study. Yes. I don't understand uh, chariots. Chariots. What okay. is the so chariot? chariot? Is it like chariot the vessel? Like a wagon. It's a wagon, right? Like a wagon, right. like a, you imagine like a horse drawn carriage, right? Right. Okay. The carriage, right? Where you sit, the chariot part of the carriage can't go anywhere without its rider, right? The chariot doesn't move unless the horses and the rider pull it and tell it to move, right? So what and we're saying is that it's completely subservient to its rider. What? And the forefathers and the, were for, the, not, 
Right, just like a chariot is completely subservient to its rider. It has no will of its own. A chariot doesn't say, oh, I'm gonna go to this town by itself without the rider, right? It's, it doesn't have that ability. It has to be pulled by the rider. So too, the forefathers were completely subservient to Hashem's will. They didn't do anything outside of God's will. So they were the chariots? They were the chariots that God's okay. They were the chariots. Okay. They were the chariots. They are right. the chariots to God's will. Okay. Sorry. Now we're going to transition into understanding the concept of Torah study and how we connect to Hashem through Torah study and what's different about it than, okay? And we're going to go back to chapter five to, because if you remember, chapter five was all about Torah study. We're going to remind ourselves what chapter five was talking about and then go further. Now, I do want to say in this chapter, we are going to come away with the concept that Torah merges, merges us with God in a much deeper way than mitzvahs. Okay. But what I do want you to understand is that everything is relative and in, in connection to what we are talking about later on in the Tanya, we are going to talk about the advantage advantage of mitzvahs over Torah. Right. So depending on what we're talking about, sometimes Torah has an advantage over mitzvahs in a particular way. And sometimes mitzvahs have an advantage over Torah in a particular way. So in this chapter, we are going to come away with, oh my gosh, Torah makes us so much more one with Hashem than mitzvahs. Yes, that's true for this particular conversation. Later on, we'll talk about how mitzvahs get us places that Torah doesn't. You're with me? Okay. So in chapter five, we learned that um, the, we learned the connection that we achieve through Torah study. Okay, so Torah study can have even a more profound connection than mitzvos. Okay, and we're going to discuss this again in this chapter and take it even one step farther because now we have more information and we're able to handle more. Okay, remember what I said. We, this is a layering process. So we un, we're going to understand this. Yes, we talked about this in chapter five, but we're going to understand it on a whole new level here in chapter 23. Okay, so Torah engages a deeper part of you, okay? What's the deeper part that Torah engages? Torah engages our thought and our speech. Now, those are our inner garments. Our action, which mitzvahs employ, is an outer garment. It's way more, not superficial, but superficial in the sense that it's a way more physical um, expression. Thought and speech our, our inner garments, obviously thought is more inner than speech, right? Which we mentioned in the beginning of class to answer our question from last week. But Torah is using the inner garments, thought and speech, okay? So through Torah, your soul is actually merging with Hashem. In contrast to mitzvahs, which are subservient, but distinct. Okay, just like the chariot. Does the chariot exist? Does the chariot exist? Yes, it exists, but it exists as a separate entity, right? So why I kept being very careful with my language when I talked about mitzvahs is I always said mitzvahs, we express Hashem's will through mitzvahs, okay? With Torah, we are merging with Hashem's will. Okay. More direct. It, it, you see, it, it's, it's a much more, yeah, it's a much more 
You become one with Hashem's will. With mitzvahs, we are expressing Hashem's will. We are the vehicle in which Hashem's will is being expressed. But when we learn Torah, because we're using thought and speech, which are, which are our inner um, expressions, we become one with Hashem's will. And we're going to talk about why and how. Okay? But does the distinction make sense to you? Yes. Okay. For the people that I can see your, their, your face, I, you're nodding. For the people I can't see your face, I hope you're nodding too. Okay, good. Now, because um, the part of law, like when we learn halacha, when we learn Hashem's laws, right? When we learn Hashem's, what we're learning is Hashem's thoughts directly. Okay. So, and what are, what are your, what are Hashem's thoughts? Hashem's thoughts are his inner desire, right? So when we learn them, we are becoming one with them, right? So again, mitzvahs are an expression of Hashem's will. Torah is Hashem's will. Okay. We're going to understand the differentiation of this even better in a few minutes. Now, I want to give you an example, which really helped me because while I was preparing, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. Expression of Hashem's will is Hashem's will, but what does that mean practically? And I don't, it's hard to under, to, to make a differentiation between there, these are subtleties. Okay. So here's an example that really helps me understand. The example we're using is the mitzvah of an esrog. Okay. The mitzvah is, is that on Sukkot, we take four species, right? One of, one of which are an esrog and we make a blessing on it and we shake it. And this is an expression of Hashem's will, right? Hashem's will is being expressed through this etrog. Remember, if we take, if we look back at all the, all the four things that are being involved, right? The etrog is being involved. Our, our hand is being involved. Our energy is being involved, right? All these things are being involved in this mitzvah. Now, if there were, if there were no such mitzvah, as shaking the lulav and etrog on Sukkot, the etrog would still exist, right? It just wouldn't be an expression of Hashem's will, which means the etrog, the etrog to a certain extent has its own autonomous nature, right? It exists outside of Hashem's will because if Hashem didn't have this mitzvah, this commandment for us, the etrog would still exist. Okay, so that's the example of a mitzvah, right? The etrog becomes the expression of Hashem's will. Now, take the will itself. What's the will itself? That Hashem wants us to shake the lulav and the etrog on sukkis, right? If Hashem didn't will this, the idea itself wouldn't exist, right? So if, if there was no such thing as shaking the lulav and etrog on Sukkot, the will, that concept would cease to exist, right? So the Torah instruction is not just a receptacle in which expresses Hashem's will. It is the will, right? So when you study Torah, that will is creating a deeper union with Hashem than by just doing the mitzvah. Now, I hesitate to say just doing the mitzvah because obviously 
that is not the right way to express it. But in connection to this concept, I want to bring home the point that the Torah is a way deeper union because you're connecting with the will himself rather than just expressing the will. Okay? So the Rambam says, which is a concept that is a very, very prevalent in Hasidus, which our physical brains really will never be able to totally understand and wrap our brain around it. But the concept is this, at the same time, Hashem is the knower, the power to know, and the knowledge all wrapped up in one. Us humans can't do that. That doesn't exist for us, right? But to be the knower, the knowledge, and the known, that's Hashem. And when you study Torah, that's what you're becoming one with, all of those things, okay? So mitzvahs can't merge us with Hashem at the highest level, right? Because A, it's we're merely an organ, right? Mitzvahs are merely an organ, and also it's performed by an outer garment. Okay, so you see how it's an outer expression. It's more of a, of a, of a outer like expression of Hashem. And Torah is totally one with Hashem, and we study it and we become one with it with our inner garments. Okay, any questions for now? Okay, one second. There's a question in the chat box. Um, okay, here. Okay, so can I explain what the knower, the known, and the knowledge is? Um, to the best of my ability, the knower means you're the person who is holding the knowledge, right? If you know something, you're the knower, right? But then Hashem is, once he expresses that knowledge, he's also the knowledge, right? He, it doesn't, like we are, the knower and the knowledge in our worlds is separate, but it's not separate from him. Okay, so he's the knower, he's the power to be known, and he's the knowledge. All of those things are equally Hashem. Okay, so I hope that explains it a little bit more. And also, do women become, yes, 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 guys, women are, are equal to men in this concept. Okay, we become just as one with Hashem when we study Torah as men do. Okay, women, which is a totally different concept, might not have as many obligations surrounding Torah study as men, right? But when women study Torah, as we are doing right now, guys, what we are doing right now, we are using our mind and our mouth to study Torah. We are now becoming one with Hashem's will. Simple as that. Now, we're going to address the fact like, how can we can still like, okay, we're going to address another concept in a second. But while we are studying Torah, we're using our mouth, we're using our mind, we are becoming one with Hashem's will. Um, doing other mitzvahs, we're doing external actions only. Yes. Yeah, so when we do a physical mitzvah, the cool thing is that Torah is Torah study and a mitzvah. So it's kind of hits the jackpot. But when we do a more um, physical mitzvah, we are using our action, okay, which is a more outward expression of Hashem. And we're only, and the, and the only thing that's becoming united with Hashem is the actual physical limb that's doing the action. Okay, later, 
in the later 30s of the Tanya, we're going to understand how intention, when we do a mitzvah, does something different to the mitzvah, right? Because you can do a mitzvah without intention, right? You can do a mitzvah by rote. You can do a mitzvah just because it's what's expected of you. You can do a mitzvah just because that's how you grew up and you don't know any different. But when you add intention to the mitzvah, it does a whole nother thing. But we're going to hold that thought. We're going to get there in a couple chapters, okay? So now, um, where was I up to? Okay, so I just gave you the example of the etrog. We understand how Hashem, to the best of our ability, is the, the knower, the knowledge, and the known. And we understand why mitzvot can't get us as deeply one with Hashem as Torah. Okay? Now, um, the innovation that, we, let me just finish this thought and then I'll, I, I'll answer your question. The innovation between now and when we learned this in chapter five is that now we understand the non-dual concept of Hashem. So we're looking at this through the lens of no, the non-dual concept of Hashem. In chapter five, what we talked about is that, um, um, that the Torah merges us us and God, two separate entities merging us and Hashem. What we know now is that there were not two separate entities to begin with. We are one with Hashem. What happens when we, Torah, when we study Torah is that we become more aware of the fact that we are one with Hashem, but we're not merging two different things together. We are revealing and understanding that this was never separate to begin with. Okay, that's what we add in chapters 23. In chapter five, we didn't talk about the non-duality of Hashem. We were not there yet, right? We were busy uncovering and discussing foundational concepts. Now in chapter 23, and we spent a long time discussing the non-duality of Hashem. Now we see it through a Torah lens. Okay, yes, question. Um, what I wanted to know was actually somebody wrote down uh, in the chat box as well. They wanted to know... Um, are we learning Torah right now? Yes, we're learning Torah right now. This is what we're doing. As we're learning about this concept of connecting to Hashem's innermost will through Torah, we are doing it, okay? So right now, this whole hour that you're spending, hopefully I won't go over time because I have still so much more to say, but however long this class is, this is what we're doing. We're actually, we actually are practicing what we preach right now. Okay, so, um, Obviously, we have a couple questions, right? Um, now, what contains, okay, I want you to think about this, okay? What contains a higher disclosure of Hashem? What reveals Hashem more, okay? Does Hashem, is Hashem more revealed in the higher spiritual worlds? Or... Is Hashem more revealed here in this lowest world as it's manifested through Torah? Okay. I'm going to tell you the answer and we're going to understand why in a second. The answer is in this world through Torah, Hashem is expressed way more powerfully and deeply than the higher spiritual worlds. Okay. If the higher spiritual worlds and Torah are both compatible with Ein Sof, right? They're both expressing Hashem's infinite light in some respect. Why does, why is Torah a greater representation of the infinite light of Hashem than the higher world? So 
We ask the question, which one expresses it more? The higher worlds or Torah? We say Torah. So why? why if they're both ain't so compatible, right? For example, then why is Torah giving us a better and deeper under uh, connection to Hashem? Okay. The answer is because when the divine soul and the garments are immersed in Torah, the divine will is fully disclosed. Whereas in the upper worlds, um, only what's revealed is only what is drawn out of the life force of the Torah. So it's, it's like a secondary revelation. The spirituality that's in the higher world is a spirituality that comes through the life force of the Torah. And it's a secondary, it's a secondary um, emanation, okay? Hashem uses the energy of Torah to create the worlds. And the world only exists for the sake of Torah, okay? So the light is a secondary, not primary energy. The primary thing is the Torah. The light coming through the Torah is a secondary energy. Now, the concept of light that's called sovev kol almin. It's a light that surrounds the world. Okay, there's mamale and there's sovev. There's a light that fills the world and there's a light that surrounds the world. The light that surrounds the world surrounds the world because it's not compatible with the world. It's too lofty. It doesn't exist. It can't come into the world, it has to only world, right? When we learn Torah, guys, this is crazy. When we learn Torah, it offers a full disclosure of Hashem's light, okay? There's no such thing as surrounding and encompassing, it's everything. So when we learn Torah, we are revealing, there's no hit, you know how we said there's symptom in this world and a God has to hide his face? When we learn Torah, there is no hiding of God's face, it is everything. Okay, so the other worlds can only handle the amount of spirituality that it can handle, right? So Atzilas, the highest world, can handle a certain amount, and then a less amount is Bria, and a less amount is Yitzira. But when we learn Torah in this world, there is no limitations. There's no encompassing light. It's all light. It's all Hashem's light. So when we learn Torah in this world, we are actually revealing a more intense, greater light than the highest spiritual worlds. Yeah? Amazing. So here comes the question. If while we're learning Torah, this is such an amazing revelation of, of light, how do we not expire? How do we live through it? Right? Because uh, Carrie's question in the beginning was, why do we need symptom to begin with? Why do we need a diminishment of God's light to begin with? And the answer I gave was because we wouldn't be able to exist in this revelation of God's light without any coverings. So how could we exist when we study Torah and we're becoming one with this infinite light and, we're, and there's no symptom, there's no hiding of God's face when we learn Torah? How do we, how do we live through it? Right? It's a very good question. And the, and the answer is, is Hashem creates the universe in such a way that when we are learning Torah and we are basking in this infinite light, our physical self is unaware of it. Okay? It's 
it's unaware of this amazing influx of light that happens through study of Torah. Because if it would be aware, we would not survive. So what is happening is a subconscious experience. Now, anyone who's been in the therapeutic world can tell you how powerful a subconscious experience is. We are driven, we are molded by our subconscious experiences. Our behaviors, we can say, I don't know why that is a trigger for me. I don't know why I'm affected by this. It's because of your subconscious. It has such a higher understanding than our conscious. So when we learn Torah, our subconscious is being exposed to this infinite amount of light. We are unaware of it on a practical level because we would not survive it. But does that mean it's not having an effect? And does that mean it's not crazy powerful? It's even more powerful because our subconscious is way more powerful than our conscious. And the reason it has to exist in our subconscious is because we still want to live. Hashem still wants a world to exist. He doesn't want to wipe us out by his spirituality. Yes. Why would we not survive it? I don't understand. Because when there is such an amazing revelation of spirituality and we are physical humans, physicality cannot survive under such immense spirituality light if it's experiencing it in real time. Okay. It's like, it's like, for example, the ray, it's like being in the presence of the sun. If you were in the presence of the sun without any filters, you would burn up. Right? So same thing with God. If you were in the presence of God without any filters, without any coverings, we would cease to exist. We would burn up. Right? When we learn Torah, our subconscious is being exposed to this spiritual light. But it's our subconscious, not our conscious, or else we would burn up. Okay? Let that concept sit for a minute. Think about it. By the way, this is going to be a source of a meditation, right? Later on, where I mean, these are meditation practices. This is not something that I expect you to be like, whoa, I understand this completely the first time you hear it, right? This is like, we, we talk about it. The more we talk about it, the more we understand it. We are eventually, I mean, we're talking about God here. So we're never going to actually understand it completely. Just remember that. Okay. So our subconscious is experiencing this amazing revelation of godly light. When we learn Torah, the reason why we are not able to experience this in our conscious is because it would, it would, it would kill us just like, for example, we actually experience this physically at the giving of the Torah, what happened? We mentioned this, I think. I don't remember. I give two Tanya classes, so sometimes I, I don't remember what I say where. But we the first two commandments at Har Sinai was said by God himself. What happened? We died. After each of those commandments, we did not survive it because it was a, too great of a revelation for our physical bodies to experience. Okay, so we know what it means to like not survive the physical expression of God, right? That's why it needs to be a subconscious experience. But our sub don't discount our subconscious experience. They, they shape who we are. They shape us. They inform our actions and our beliefs. Everything is formed by our subconscious, okay? So just know that it's super powerful when we are affecting our physical body and mind through subconscious when we're studying Torah. Obviously it has conscious ramifications as well, but the extent of the revelation of God is a subconscious experience. Okay. So um, how do we take this all to heart? This is how I'm going to end. I have four minutes 
And then we'll do a very fast meditation. I'm so sorry we're going over. I'm telling you, this chapter is very long. It took me many hours to prepare because it's very long. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing well. We're getting it done. Now, how do we take this stuff to heart? Because Tanya is, is not meant to be an encyclopedia. It's not just to, meant to give you knowledge and just to have knowledge. It's meant to be practical. Okay, so what do we do? Basically, the Tanya says, in, in the Tanya's words, it says, if we were wise, right, we would take all these concepts and we would meditate on them, right? And we would meditate on the concept of how everything we learned today, right? How our brain and our mouth are expressions of godliness, how we become one with Hashem when we learn Torah and all the reasons why, and we understand the difference between Torah and mitzvahs, right? And we would contemplate on these concepts, right? And then the Tanya adds one more point. It says, the last point that Tanya adds that we can contemplate on is that Hashem commands us to, it says in the, the sages say, Hashem commands us to perform these laws in order to revere him. That seems completely opposite of what we've been saying, right? Doesn't it, it, it seems like the cause and effect are backwards here, right? Surely we first revere Hashem and that is our motivation to do mitzvahs, right? And here we learn that there's two levels of reverence. The first level of reverence is a basic level of reverence, which is necessary to inspire you to observe the mitzvahs, okay? Basic level of reverence is that we revere Hashem and that allows us to observe, that encourages us to, to observe the mitzvahs. The higher level of reverence is something that follows after we perform the mitzvahs, then we have another, uh, an additional higher reverence of Hashem, right? This higher level of reverence can only be reached through meditation, okay? So it goes like this, we, re we revere Hashem, it causes us to do mitzvahs. Now, if we were to meditate, number one, on the mitzvah that we're doing and on the, uh, the reaction of what happens when we do a mitzvah that is then going to produce a higher level of reverence for Hashem. Okay. That can only happen through meditation. And not only that, the meditation is a pretty abstract concept. Okay. When we meditate on Hashem, we're meditating on abstract ideas, right? Not all brains are created equal to internalize these abstract concepts. So what the Tanya wants you to know is that if, when you meditate, you are not getting anywhere in this concept, just know that your service of Hashem is not dependent on it. And everything that you're doing is still extremely worthwhile. And um, you shouldn't give up because there's a lot of different ways to meditate. Okay. And the next chapter is going to, and this is what we're going to discuss in the next chapter. If I were to put a topic on it, which the Tanya does here, it says, don't be delusional right? Don't think that if you're having a hard time with these meditation concepts, don't think that means that your service of Hashem is worthless. Okay. We're going to, that's what we're going to get into segue to next chapter. But what we're ending with is the fact that these concepts, if we were wise, we would take everything we learned and meditate on them, which will then produce a, an additional higher level of reverence for Hashem. This takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. If you're hitting a wall, don't worry. First of all, we'll troubleshoot it. There's a whole like 10 chapters of Tanya that 
are troubleshooting chapters. What happens if dot, 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 right? So don't worry, we'll troubleshoot it, but also know that while you're working on it, your service of Hashem is equally valuable. So don't get discouraged if your meditation is, you're hitting a wall when you're trying to meditate on these very abstract concepts. Remember, we're trying to make abstract concepts to create real emotions. That's a very, very, very intense thing to try to do. Okay, and that's how this chapter ends. One o'clock on the money. I'm well, one o'clock for me, two o'clock for you, but okay, we're gonna go a little over because we're gonna meditate quickly, but any questions before we get to meditation? Okay, we're gonna meditate. If there's something that comes up after meditation, let me know. I'm gonna make it shorter because I, I really value, value your time and I appreciate you taking an hour of your day to do this with me. I don't. I wanna end with a quick meditation because I think that's really grounding. If you have to leave, I understand, but let's do this, let's do this. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Follow the rhythm of your breath. Don't try to do anything that your body doesn't want to do. Just natural rhythm. We're going to take a couple breaths. And when we get to like a little bit more of a like calm, relaxed state, I'm going to share with you some of the concepts that I want you to go home with. Okay. Basically, I'm going to give you little snippets of what we talked about in little snippet forms. Okay. And then you can Meditate on them, think about them, come back next week with any questions. Mitzvos are God's deepest inner will. They are the very reason the world is here. Take a second to think about that. When you observe a mitzvah, A, your soul's garment of action, B, the limb of your body that you used, C, the energy that you used, and D, the energy of the object you used, all connect directly with Hashem, like a chariot to its rider, okay? The, the connection of a mitzvah to Hashem is like a, the connection between a chariot to a rider, completely subservient, but still separate. Torah study merges your inner garments of thought, speech, and your soul itself with God in total unity. In Torah, there is no hiding of God's face. Okay, there's no symptom, there's no diminishment in Torah study. So when you learn Torah, it's a complete merging. Okay, and the last concept I want to leave you with is that your conscious mind doesn't perceive God's light in the Torah. Otherwise, you would expire. You would cease to exist when studying it. Okay, it's a subconscious experience which shape us. 
Okay. Those are the main, um, the main concepts that we learned today. They're big, they're deep, deep and practical, right? Everything we learned today was so deep, but so practical, so practical that we're doing it right now. Right? So bring your attention back to your breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Relax your body. I probably like hyped you up because I'm super hyped up. So just like calm your body. Any tension you might have, just let it melt away. Take these amazing thoughts with you throughout your week. And I will see you here next week. Same time. Thank you guys for coming. I know it's the summer, but um, it's, I think it's really great to be consistent and whoever can't be here will listen to the recording and have a wonderful, wonderful week.